Hello, and welcome back to the PKD Dietitian Podcast. I'm Diana Bruin, your host and dietitian extraordinaire. When I say vitamin D, what do you think of? Is it the sunshine vitamin or perhaps your bones? In fact, when is the last time you thought about bone health? It's completely understandable that we talk a lot about kidney health within PKD. But kidney health and bone health are absolutely connected. Today, I am not going to break down the ins and outs of bone health and how the kidneys are connected. That's pretty complicated. But instead, we're going to explore one important piece of it, vitamin D. I am going to touch on different types of vitamin D, food sources. We're also going to review some details on deficiency. And of course, how vitamin D levels are connected to PKD and your kidneys. Make sure to stay to the end today. You don't want to miss very specific actions I want you to take regarding your vitamin D, but also to live proactive PKD nutrition. I'll give you a little sneak peek. Vitamin D is one of three labs that I always recommend checking much earlier with PKD than is recommended with CKD. So let's get into it so you understand why. In the United States, an estimated 42% of adults are vitamin D deficient. That's a heck of a lot of people. If we expand out worldwide, vitamin D deficiency is even more common. Estimates are that over 50% of the world's population is deficient. The percentage of folks who are vitamin D deficient jumps way up to 80% when you look at people who have impaired kidney function, which includes chronic kidney disease and also PKD. In my private practice as the PKD dietitian, I am finding a vitamin D deficiency to be crazy common with PKD, and it does not matter how old or how young the client is that I am working with. Before we get into PKD and vitamin D specifically, I want to give you a little background and introduction to vitamin D. You know, I am a big proponent of knowing the what something is and the why behind recommendations for PKD. So first up, what is vitamin D? Vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. This means exactly what it sounds like. Vitamin D dissolves in fat, and it is also absorbed much better with fat in our intestines. It's not surprising that in our bodies, vitamin D is primarily stored in our fatty tissues. Our bodies use vitamin D to enhance calcium absorption, which in turn helps us form and maintain healthy bones. But that's not it. There are vitamin D receptors all over our bodies, and it plays a role in immune function, cell growth, and even inflammation. Research has shown that vitamin D status, meaning if someone is deficient or if they have enough vitamin D, plays a role in heart health and hypertension, bone health, of course, and associations have been made between vitamin D and cancer, diabetes, and blood sugar regulation. There are three main ways to get vitamin D. The first is we make it in our bodies. The second is to get it through diet, what we consume. And then the third is through supplements. 
Our bodies make vitamin D naturally. When our skin is exposed to sunlight and UV rays, it activates the creation of vitamin D. This is how vitamin D got nicknamed the sunshine vitamin. Things that can decrease our production of vitamin D are older age, darker skin, limited sun exposure, using sunscreen, and even smog. When it comes to food, there are naturally occurring sources of vitamin D, and there's also fortified foods. However, there really only are a handful of foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And most Americans, their primary sources are through fortified foods. Some of the foods that naturally contain vitamin D are fish oil, primarily cod liver oil, which I don't like anyone taking with PKD because it has higher levels of vitamin A. Also fatty fish, particularly salmon. Fatty fish does provide a decent source of vitamin D, but you'd have to eat it almost every day to meet your needs. Egg yolks have some vitamin D, but really a smaller amount, only about 6% of recommended intake. And certain mushrooms do have vitamin D. However, generally, this is a pretty small amount. And you can see our choices for food sources of vitamin D are somewhat limited. The common foods that we find that are fortified, meaning that vitamin D has been added, are orange juice and breakfast cereals, which in my book are usually packed with sugar. Cow's milk is also fortified with vitamin D, but doesn't have a ton in it. And then non-dairy milks, which are your milk alternatives like oat milks, and they can have variable amounts too, about 13 to 18% of recommended intake. And of course, dairy products do have some natural vitamin D. The last source of vitamin D that I mentioned is supplements. And supplements have two main types themselves. You have vitamin D3 and vitamin D2. So vitamin D3 is also known as cholecalciferol. It is a natural form of vitamin D and it's primarily sourced from animals. So all you vegans out there, make sure you take note or you vegetarians that vitamin D3 is primarily from animals. Vitamin D2 called ergo calciferol is a synthetic form of vitamin D and it is mainly sourced from plants, mushrooms being one of the main sources. Both forms of vitamin D supplements, the D3 and the D2, are well absorbed in the body and can absolutely increase your amount of stored and circulating vitamin D. What we also know is that when supplementing for a deficiency, vitamin D3 has been shown to be much more affected at increasing levels in the body and last for longer periods of time. You will find both forms of these vitamin D over the counter, but again, higher doses, especially those that are to fix a deficiency, are by prescription only. Vitamin D isn't just found in solo supplement form. It is also frequently included in many multivitamins. So that is how vitamin D3 and D2 are different. Now let's look at how they are the same. In our bodies, both forms of vitamin D are metabolized into a quote-unquote active form of vitamin D. This is done in our liver. And yes, it's true that vitamin D2 takes some extra steps to get there, but eventually does. 
This is the flow of how it works in our bodies. We consume vitamin D either through food or supplementation, and we absorb it in our gut. That is then transported to our liver where it's converted to a different form of vitamin D. This form is our body's main storage form. This is also the form of vitamin D that gets measured when your doctor orders a lab to check your levels. Levels of the stored form directly reflect your vitamin D status. This isn't the active form of vitamin D yet. It's just a precursor. Our body's conversion of vitamin D does not stop there. After the liver, that storage form of vitamin D is transported to our kidneys, where it is acted upon by kidney enzymes that ultimately convert that vitamin D into an active form so our bodies can use it. The end result of this process is a hormone called calcitriol. Yes, you heard me correctly. The active form of vitamin D in our body is a hormone. I want to take a moment and clarify some confusion around vitamin D that I run into frequently. If your doctor has prescribed you calcitriol, this is the hormonal form of vitamin D in medication. It is not a supplement. Calcitriol is prescribed when there is already an imbalance of your bone health and your kidneys aren't doing their job of responding to help correct it. Calcitriol will not improve your vitamin D status or levels. It is specifically added to act on something called your parathyroid hormone. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. In summary, we ingest vitamin D, we absorb it in our gut, hopefully with a little bit of fat, goes to our liver liver and gets converted, and then it goes to our kidneys and gets converted into an active and usable form. Are you picking up on the importance of having enough vitamin D to convert to the active form, but also the importance of the role of our kidneys in that final step? Let's look at the last piece of that process we just walked through, the kidney connection. Having any kidney injury or altered function, like with PKD or CKD, is a risk factor for vitamin D deficiency. Know this. Deficiencies are found in all stages of kidney disease and become much more common when there is a reduced kidney function, so a reduced GFR. Your kidneys play a key role in the activation of vitamin D. Since the kidneys are responsible for turning inactive vitamin D into an active form in the body, any injury or impaired function can decrease and alter this process. Conversion to the active form is often suppressed, and injured kidneys are less able to do this. I bet you are asking yourself, well, why? This results from several different mechanisms that affect the kidneys and their ability to maintain bone balance. Included in this is a decrease in those enzymes that are needed to convert vitamin D to an active form. And because of this, active forms of vitamin D tend to gradually decline. Some folks with CKT also spill protein into their urine. 
and many folks with polycystic kidney disease do. This is a sign of kidney damage. When the levels of protein spilling into urine get high, this is often called something called proteinuria, it can affect vitamin D status too. The way this works is high levels of protein in the urine can promote a vitamin D deficiency. I know it sounds crazy, right? And here's how. Vitamin D and all its pieces bind to receptors on certain proteins in the body. And when we're spilling proteins in our urine, vitamin D is lost along with those proteins. This brings us to a bit more specifics when it comes to PKD and vitamin D. What is the PKD connection? Here is why I want you to pay attention to vitamin D. In addition to everything I just mentioned, there are two big reasons I want to highlight vitamin D for PKD. Number one, with PKD, regardless of where your kidney function is, you are considered to have kidney damage. So this puts you at a higher risk for a vitamin D deficiency. With PKD, this unfortunately starts much earlier than CKD. Number two, if we wait to look at and address a deficiency until we see a decline in GFR, it is too late. In my opinion, to proactively prevent bone imbalances, damage, and deficiency, we need to look at it sooner. I have worked with folks who are in their 30s who are severely deficient in vitamin D. They had no signs. We got ahead of it. I've also worked with folks who are a little later in life and already have bone damage and are struggling with osteoporosis and other issues related to bone imbalances. These imbalances started way before they saw a dip in GFR when traditionally we start looking at bone health. With PKD, we need to look at bone health, specifically vitamin D, earlier than that. When there could be a deficiency and we absolutely could get ahead of bone damage. We know that kidney injury happens before a dip in GFR occurs with PKD. Because of this, we need to test earlier to make sure there's no easily correctable imbalances or deficiencies. And three, yep, there is an honorable mention here. A ketogenic diet is low in vitamin D. This is for all you folks out there following a plant-focused ketogenic diet and hopefully doing it with the help of a professional, know that you are at a greater risk for deficiency because ketogenic diets don't have much vitamin D. So make sure you know what your intake is, know what your status is, and intentionally address both of those to support your PKD health. Let's take a second and look at what science tells us about PKD and vitamin D. Research suggests that having low levels of vitamin D are absolutely associated with having a larger kidney size, that is having a larger total kidney volume. This hasn't been shown to be a cause and effect relationship, but more of an association. There is also a well-established link between vitamin D deficiency and hypertension, 
along with an increased occurrence of cardiovascular events. We know that active vitamin D helps to downregulate a hormone called renin in the kidneys. Now, I know this sounds a bit sciencey, but stay with me. The renin-angiotensin system in the body is a key regulator of blood pressure. With PKD, the renin-angiotensin system is essentially overstimulated, leading to much higher levels of that renin hormone, which is a contributing factor to hypertension with PKD, especially hypertension that shows up early in life. Animal studies have also shown us that with a sustained vitamin D deficiency, so one that has not been fixed, with PKD, it can negatively affect blood pressure, heart health, and was even associated with an impact on kidney function. It is not a stretch to conclude that being deficient in vitamin D has the potential to affect blood pressure regulation and impact folks outside of their kidney health when it comes to PKD. Long-term studies are needed for sure. The thing is, fixing a deficiency, especially if it's caught early, can be easy. But how much is enough? Let's look at what the current guidelines tell us. The current guidelines for vitamin D and the kidneys follow the same darn guidelines that are used for everyone, the general population. They don't take into consideration any altered kidney function. This is a heavily debated topic in the kidney world. Studies are ongoing and looking at the question of how much is enough and what lab level is good. It was in the 1940s that the original recommendation for vitamin D intake was first made. And why was it made? It was made to prevent something called rickets in infants. Rickets is a bone disease dealing with soft bones from a lack of of calcium. Since then, only a minor increase in the recommended intake has been made. And for adults, the recommended dietary allowance is if you're under, if you're 70 or under, is about 600 IUs a day, which is not a lot. And if you're over 70, it's about 800 IUs a day. Testing guidelines that are within the kidney world recommend that vitamin D be tested when someone's GFR, so their kidney function, is less than 60. Yes, you heard me. The recommendation is for vitamin D to be tested when you have CKD3. The recommendation is to test it at baseline so that you know, and then every 6 to 12 months after that, depending on the individual person and their trends. The National Kidney Foundation recommends to check something called PTH, which again is the parathyroid hormone. If that is elevated, then they say check vitamin D because those two are related. If the level of vitamin D is less than 30, they recommend supplementing. So those are just the basic guidelines, but science is telling us that is not enough. So let's take it back a step and say what exactly is considered deficiency. This again 
is also a matter of debate. But the general consensus says if your vitamin D level is less than 12, and that is astronomically low, folks, that you're deficient. And if you're less than 30, you are insufficient. However, there's really strong evidence that a vitamin D insufficiency occurs below 32, and that we see changes in bone health and the kidneys with levels that are quote unquote considered normal. And most research shows that higher levels tend to be positively connected with better outcomes. As the PKD dietitian, with my private clients, I individualize their vitamin D goals, but for sure consistently aim for much higher levels. I often find that levels lower than 40 for vitamin D are insufficient. But again, you have very individualized goals and these need to be set up with your medical professional and your dietitian. Having a deficiency and even an insufficiency of vitamin D bumps up the risk for several things. And those risks include an increased risk of mineral bone disease, increased risk of cardiovascular disease, a weakened immune system, hypertension, and blood sugar imbalances, and even potentially some cancers are associated with uh, being impacted by a deficiency. On the other end, could you get too much vitamin D? Is it possible? And the short answer is yes. Let me explain. You won't and can't get too much vitamin D from sun exposure or from food. This only happens through supplementation. So how much is too much? Getting enough vitamin D is important for your health, clearly, but taking too much can lead to toxicity. And this risk is generally associated, again, with taking supplements. So for adults, the recommendation for a safe upper limit is 4,000 IUs a day when you're supplementing, unless you're under medical supervision. Now, the reason for this is because supplementation over this, you do kind of need to pay attention. It's not saying that it's dangerous for you, but it could be, especially when it's done for extended periods of time. Avoiding megadosing is absolutely important to reduce your risk of toxicity. But also, when you take huge doses of vitamin D, you have a risk for having higher blood calcium levels, developing kidney stones, and even gut issues. So we know that vitamin D enhances calcium absorption. That's generally a good thing. We need calcium for strong bones. But with high doses of vitamin D, only seen with supplementation, it can go too far. And the result is high calcium blood levels, which can negatively impact your heart muscle and your heart function. If you've ever heard the term calcification, that's what I'm referring to here. Calcification is good for your bones, but it's not good for your soft tissues and organs. Most definitely not. Think about it as putting pieces of bones in your soft tissues. Generally, a mega dose of vitamin D is considered between 6,000 to 8,000 IUs. And don't get me wrong, higher doses of vitamin D are absolutely used and safe when monitored and done with your dietitian or healthcare professional. 
you want to make sure that you're not doing it on your own and for for long periods of time. So now let's get into what to do for your proactive PKD plan for vitamin D. Get your level tested. Regardless of what your kidney function is, if you have never had your vitamin D tested, get it done. You want a baseline level. Make a plan to, at a minimum, get it checked yearly. Add it to your yearly labs. This way, you can know your number, know your trends, and easily put interventions in place if your levels are less than ideal. If you have had your vitamin D checked, go look at how long ago it was. If it was greater than a year ago, get it retested with your next labs and at least yearly after that. Your medical provider can order a blood test to measure your vitamin D levels. Next up, you want to consider supplementation. The question is, should you take a vitamin D supplement? And my answer is, it depends. Chances are you might need one, but first, you, along with your healthcare provider, need to look at what your actual level is and how much you're getting through your diet. For much of us, that is not much. And then from there, determine what type of supplement is best for you. The dosage you take really depends on if you need to fix a deficiency or just to maintain your levels. Your needs can and will change over time. Never start a supplement and then just keep taking it without any checks and balances. I recommend if you want some extra help with this to revisit podcast number 16 of mine, and that goes into great questions to ask before you take a supplement. You can also check out my blog on the same topic. It includes the four questions to ask and a printable infographic with them. I will link them both out in the show notes. A few tips for you when it comes to vitamin D supplements. The first is take your supplement if it is recommended with food. Since vitamin D is fat soluble, it is better absorbed if you have it with some fat. I like to have clients take it with their breakfast or their first meal if possible. In addition, if you are taking a vitamin D supplement along with a thiazide diuretic like hydrochlorothiazide, also HCTZ, a medication that is frequently used in the PKD community for blood pressure management, know that there is the potential when in combination for an increased calcium blood level. So it's always good to keep an eye on calcium levels, especially when you are starting either the HCTZ or a vitamin D supplement in conjunction of each other. And even more important, if you have a lower kidney function, so a lower GFR. Let's lay out those action steps now. Number one, do you know what your vitamin D level is? If you don't, get it checked. That's number two. Talk with your doctor about getting your serum vitamin D tested. Number three, don't blindly supplement. If needed, your doctor and dietitian will be able to recommend your appropriate level of supplementation. There is absolutely a difference between a therapeutic dose to help fix a deficiency and a maintenance dose. And number four, check your response. 
Anytime you start something, you want to check your response. With vitamin D specifically, you want to look at what your level is with that supplementation to see how you are responding because we all respond differently and there can be a wide variation. There you have it, a great guide looking at vitamin D and PKD. Maintaining a good vitamin D status is important for kidney health, PKD health, and whole body health. Thanks for listening today, folks. Can I ask a favor of you? If you are enjoying the PKD Dietitian Podcast and finding it valuable, please take a little time out of your day to write a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I would surely appreciate it. Or you can hit that five-star button. Thanks again. Thank you.